Beardy and the Beast Media Club. This is placeholder intro song. Welcome to the Beardy and the Beast Media Club, where spoilers are welcome. We'll manifest those spoilers like an otherworldly evil would confront you with your greatest traumas. We're available here and on other services with a complete list located at beardyandthebeast.com. My name is Drew, and joining us from a hellscape dimension is Devin. <laughs> we will be discussing the 1997 sci-fi horror classic, Event Horizon. Hey, Devin. Yeah? Would you like to know why we make such a good team? <laughs> why do we make such a good team? Because <laughs> where we're going, there is no eyes in team. <laughs> So I suppose the real question is, <laughs> did this film stand the test of time like the Event Horizon did hell? Um, so... I remember watching this movie when it came out. So, I was like, about as tall as you were, we were talking about Silent Hill, I think. Okay, yeah. <laughs> And... I remembered it being better. Hmm. Okay. Okay. I get. But... I get. It. I get. It. I get what you mean. I definitely felt that as well, and I'm sure we'll discuss that. This this film for me has always reigned as one of those movies that is bad. Yeah. But awesome. Yeah. And that badness is part of the flavor. It's that mm. little bitter note in something sweet. Yeah. There's a, a bunch of points where I think that it probably missed the mark and didn't quite get where it was trying to go. Yeah. But knowing the, the director and the production like constraints and that sort of things definitely helps explain some of this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, let's... Before we talk about the production... It's probably best if we talk about the characters and their relation to the ship. And the reason why that second half is so important is because the, there isn't much to the characters themselves. For the most part, yeah. Yeah, there's, they're not really grandiose. They're definitely no real character development. It, this is definitely just your popcorn flick. It's just a little bit of sci-fi, a little bit of horror, a little bit of action to hear what might be craven. Yeah. The So my favorite character of this film, the ship. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm of mixed feelings on the ship. I mean, living ships in sci-fi i know for a fact there's some sci-fi that we both love oh for sure involve involve living ships <laughs> um, i'm looking at you farscape mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> this is i feel like the character of the ship the idea was there i don't think they developed it as well as they could have and and that's kind of my impression of the film overall. Yeah, I agree, hundred like, percent. It's when when I look at the characters, most of the characters are archetypal. Mm -hmm. You know what they are. I really appreciate how, like, you got an immediate feeling that the crew knew each other. They worked together, and just the way they bantered right from the get go. There was a couple of spots where I'm like don't quite think you'd be at each other's throats this immediately. Yeah. And I think there's little things like the captain, uh, Miller, just the immediate is like, nope, screw this, we're out. 
don't care what the mission was. <laughs> you, you, um, like, you they, definitely they got, built that well. You definitely got the family aspect of the crew as a mm. whole. Yeah. Each of the individual characters didn't feel well-rounded. They definitely suited the archetype. Like, you uh, had the horny guy who was trying to always hook up. You had the smart-ass guy who was always, you know, quipping or bantering. Yeah. Uh, you had the nerd, or in this case, like, a couple nerds. Yeah. Your medic, and then your, your strong-willed captain. Yeah. The, they definitely could have expressed the character of the ship much better through Weir. Mm -hmm. they, they tried a bit. It definitely seemed like they were going for a... The ship is alive, and it's a part of this component that's evil, and it's talking through Weir. But they just couldn't grasp it. There was definitely something missing there. Yeah, I, I felt like that. Like, so my my immediate thoughts in the film again was they they were going with the you know haunted house um, eldritch horror, mm, definitely. right? Right. So so there's there's that kind of mix, like the idea that this was supposed to be a Lovecraftian cosmic horror wasn't lost on me. The development around it was. So you talk about them trying to push that through with Weir. That didn't leave an impact with me no, because no. there was no reason for it to tie into Weir. Like at least that was explained. Like I can and speculate. Like I can speculate a bunch of things, but like my, my immediate thoughts are like, okay, you've latched onto Weir, but why? He he had nothing to do. This is not like he was there. If there's maybe a flash of when they were testing the drive and. Something happened then to make them to make them tie in. I, I feel I do have a theory about it. All right, but we can probably get into it in a little bit. It kind of develops as we talk about the characters. So if we if we talk about Weir himself, he's a headstrong scientist. He was involved with the ship. He's amazed that it's come back. He's excited, but he's also had this like deep personal trauma that's occurred. Yeah, he discovered his wife who had committed suicide. I believe directly himself. Yeah, um, I mean that's that's what was implied. I think. Yeah. Anyway, then we we go on to Peters, the doctor. Mm -hmm. uh, there again, there's not nothing much about any of these characters, in my opinion. You could write write down their characters in three lines. Yeah, but she also had this appears to have some form of like personal trauma in relation to her son who's become disabled. Yeah. They could have probably elaborated on that. Like, was she the cause? Did she discover him? Wh why? And th there's a reason why this is important to me. If we were to talk about the captain as well, mm -hmm. uh, he definitely had that realized trauma. Like he has an entire sentence or like, uh, line in the film related to it yeah. he saw his crewmate engulfed in fire and zero g and watched him burn alive yeah Co coincidentally these are also the characters that began to have hallucinations in relation to the ship activating well i, I think that's where i have some issues with this right off the bat yeah because we're had the hallucinations or nightmares or whichever way you want to go with it before the ship activated. So it, it makes me go in questions like, why did it latch onto him? What was the point of that nightmare scene? Because it doesn't feel connected to everything else that's happened. It actually separated me from it. So when you talk about Peters and, and her kid and such, her having, if she had turned into what Weir became, would have actually made more sense to me. It would have at least connected a little bit more to the to the Eldritch Horror. I see what as, you're saying. That's slowly going mad, right? Weir didn't have that. He was having these this PTSD before any of this happened. So it felt out of place. 
it could it could have definitely been solved with some type of ship construction thing where like or something that implied that it was his blood sweat and tears that went into building the ship mm-hmm. like he was involved in the construction it was his ship but so something as simple as like a drop of his blood falling onto the engine when he pricked himself would yeah. have been good enough for me because what they were implying which again it didn't suit me either i agree mm-hmm. with you is that the ship was calling out to those with trauma and using that to control or affect them mm-hmm. and it it only did those who had traumas that were expressed in the film mm-hmm. the the only exception to that would probably be justin baby bear yeah but he actually entered the event horizon engine yeah so he wasn't actually being controlled he was curious he touched the thing he got pulled in and that was his trauma yeah so that's oh, why yeah. he was controllable so we're as you stated I couldn't place it, and I think you described it perfectly. Mm-hmm. That there just there wasn't a reason for him to be the specific outlet. Yeah. If they made him more headstrong, maybe I could see it better. If they described his production of the ship, even having said, you know, I put my blood, sweat, and tears into the ship. Yeah. Having some type of deep connection to it was not expressed. Yeah. Yeah, and it, 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 and honestly, like, that's one of those things that kind of soured it. Is that most of the other characters, they, there's something expressed there. And again, it's a horror film. I'm not looking for deep characterization when I'm watching a horror film. I mean, continuity is still important. Con- continuity is important, yes. Right. But the simple characterization, I mean, it is, isn't a problem. It's just the, yeah, what's the logical consistency around around this? Weir, out of all of them, was the one who was least likely to me to to turn, as it were, to be the ship's avatar. Yeah, if they, it it could have been any of the numerous production difficulties that they had and editings and things that cut out contextual scenes things like that, but we really have to rate it as a whole as it is. Yeah. It's clear why he was. It's not clear why he should have been. I guess is the the conflict I'm having. I understand what they're going for and what they're trying to imply. Yeah. But that lack of consistency really does not help solidify it. Yeah. I actually think it hurts it. It hurts it even a lot more than just that. Okay, sure, the the twist villain or whatever, but Weir's nightmares cheapens Stark's nightmares at the end. These are like, well, what does that mean? Does that like, or they both kind of cheapen each other? Because is she having these nightmares because of the proximity to the Hell Dimension, or which means again, why did Weir have them in the first place, or do them nightmares nothing, which why did we have it in the first place? <laughs> like that, that bookend that was kind of there. Like... Actually, to be honest, the one that makes the most sense to me was Stark. Yeah. Cause her trauma was legitimately just weird. Oh yeah. No, like, the, like... so she, that could have legitimately been just some form of like, uh, PTSD triggering that happened. Or alternatively, her being affected by the event horizon calling to her based yeah. on the trauma she experienced. It it was it was easy that ending. Yeah, yeah. That little like last little minute scare was kind of like an easy one that they just threw out there. Yeah. It the problem that it had is it didn't add to the film. Yeah, that and I agree that her having the nightmare made perfect sense. It's the implications on the rest of the film that makes it go, okay, does that, like I said, does that mean that Weir did go into the hell dimension beforehand? Right. It, 
was good for her character. It was bad for the earlier introduction of it right at the beginning of the film. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah, that, that, that's what I was meaning there more so. No, and it, um, I mean, I, I agree with you. And it, it's funny that we talk about all these characters and how they're, they're all seeming to be something missing. And I mm. think that is because of the most important character, the ship. Mm. There's just a whole lot about it that wasn't expressed appropriately that could have filled all these voids. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> when the, when I, the character <laughs> development needed to be the ship the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's Eldritch Horror is a bizarre genre anyway. I mean, the idea is you're not supposed to be able to under comprehend what's happening, right? But there still needs to be something there. The ship as a character, in the way they presented it, was it felt passive. It, it, it felt like it was, you know, there was an effect that was happening, but it didn't feel like the ship was influencing it. Yeah, I'm wondering if that has to do with like one of the original rewrites because I think originally it was supposed to be evil aliens. Yeah, that, that we're turned into like, oh no, we'll make this like a hell dimension instead. Mm -hmm. So if you had like actual evil aliens or like an an actual antagonist in that matter, it probably would have made a whole lot more sense. But that being said, the movie itself is kind of firmly a piece of its time. That's fair, and that's it. Did not age nearly as well as I feel it should have. I understand why it's a cult classic. Yeah. But, I mean, I enjoyed watching it. I just, mm -hmm. it didn't stand that test of time for me. So, yeah. you know, 24 years later, is it? Yeah. Something it, like that, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's not many movies that can stand that test. Two decades. No. I mean, surprisingly, Battlefield Earth actually got kind of better, but... I'm saying zero stars to half stars on that movie. Um, <laughs> it, it's funny because, you know, two of the main characters are in movies that pretty much have stood that test of time. That's I mean, true. Sam Neill in Jurassic Park and Lawrence Fishburne in the Matrix, right? Like, <laughs> and, and, and still similar enough era. Like, those movies were, what, a total of seven years apart between all of them i think oh for sure the thing that i think also hurt this movie from a character aspect is it apparently like the characters were kind of tasked with making up an own, their own backstory for their own characters and that's yeah. probably why some of those reactions didn't seem natural yeah because if they're acting from a backstory that they've only developed themselves especially when they're a crew that should have known each other for a long time yeah. like what did they go through I think one of yeah, the, you need to have a little bit more around that, right? Like, I think one of the original takes was when the crew is introduced, they're actually saving a, a ship. Mm -hmm. And that's where the original airlock scene with Baby Bear was supposed to be. Right. So they couldn't do that, saving the person on that ship. So they just, I mean, it was a cool idea. So they kept it for later on with Baby Bear. Yeah. I, I, I think... I'm trying to trying to think of a way to to make the ship as a character work better. I um, I, I don't think you should really uh, stress it too much. Yeah. Like it's it's something that would probably take far too much consideration because they ended up breaking that with Weir at the end too. Because Weir ends up becoming a personification of the, but yeah. that personification was supposed to be the ship, but then. The orb opens and then it becomes weird. There was a point that I thought was kind of cool, and it was probably the only time they actually expressed it well. Mm -hmm. Is there was a scene where the ship was talking through Weir, mm -hmm. and that's when they were in the the bridge of the ship, yeah, and the door was getting pounded on and like being hit. And Weir stands up and he starts moving towards the door and he's saying, "Open the door, open the door." And I don't, I think. 
the way that it seemed to be expressed to me was less open the door to the bridge and more open the door to this evil that's trying to be expressed. And yeah. that's the only scene that was convincing to me for the ship as a character and Weir's attachment to it. And then other yeah. than that, it kind of, it was disharmonious. I wouldn't say it missed the mark. I wouldn't say it felt short. It just felt like there were several lines that were, weren't intersecting. Yeah, okay, I'd agree with that. Um, that's actually a, a, a good example of, of where it didn't intersect as well, right? So it's not the fact, like the weird aspect that works, but did something physically happen at that door then? So there was a physical presence there that we never see mm. and never comes back again. You, you can't play that away as a hallucination either because they actually talk about that later with, oh, it was actually uh, heating and cooling of the ship that would cause, like, the bulkhead to adjust or whatever. Yeah. And you're like, what? I mean, that, that looked pretty claw-marky <laughs> type. If, if the scene like had ended and it was normal, yeah, that would have been much better. Yeah, exactly. I think another place, actually, the ship did really well actually was with peters at, near the end when that, that was you know, they, that was the that was hands down the best part like yeah. of the the ship actualizing like that mm -hmm. yeah it, like you had you know had kid running around and um the <clears throat> all of the doors looking like caskets loved mm. that touch and sure there's totally a floor here well, um, it, like that's what I would have expected more if the ship is playing with them. Like that's what I would expect with the haunted house type thing, right? And if your mind's starting to go, which is the common thread in Eldritch Horror, that would be how I would expect that. There were so many opportunities for stuff like that throughout this film, and it was never realized. <laughs> oh, I agree. The well, with that scene. The, the directing was so on point there, and same with the act the acting. I would say that, hands down, that is the best scene in the film, simply by everything occurring in it is, you know, this is a mother who believes her son is across the room from her, and she's only focused on him, and you know, without even seeing the lack of uh, a floor, that something's yeah. going to be had is something harmful is going to happen when she enters that room. Yeah. And it's expressed in seconds when she gets to that top room before she falls. Yeah. So that fall is not even a, uh, a shock to you because you knew yeah. it was going to happen. And that's how every component from directing, lighting, set design, uh, acting were perfect in that. Yeah. It's, it's unfortunate this movie wasn't a whole string of scenes like that, but yeah. I would definitely give my kudos to anyone involved in that scene. Yeah, you know that 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 encapsulated the entire the entirety of it. That scene is what I remember the movie being more like that. <laughs> Same. Right? Same. And I, it it threw me off. You know, let, let's talk of the missed opportunities with that. Um, I, I see Chekhov's guns laying all over this thing, mm. right? The explosives, the, the meat grinder type hallway, the the spiky doors, the the spikes in the in the room where the the gravity drive is. All this, not one of them was used. Well, sorry, the explosives were used. Not one of the other ones was used. I did, I did like it, and I did dislike it. There was, I wish there was a little bit of foreshadowing from it. So mm -hmm. when, uh, I believe it was Justin, mentioned the hallway looked like a meat grinder. Yeah. Uh, I, f I for sure, I for sure thought that was going to play into his death somehow. Because I had forgotten... The, like the resolution of his story where he gets yeah. put in the cryo chamber or whatever. I think Stark develop or Stark finds blood on the bridge. 
the explosions, the spikes, even the fall mm-hmm. wasn't wasn't something that could be possibly called. And when when it comes to these horror things, they'll at least in early two thousands, late nineties horror. I know you're much more familiar, but from my experiences, the way that they'll do it is they'll either uh, show you what's gonna kill them in 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 advance yeah and then maybe do an elaborate way of how it happens or how they get in that situation or they show you something and then they directly subvert your expectations at the very end yeah and then uh do it in a different way yeah i I think the only example that comes immediately to mind is uh, one of the final destinations a girl falls and she like just barely catches herself and then starts getting uh, a nail gun through the head. And yeah. it's like, you didn't expect that to be the way she, that she went Yeah, because they subverted your expectations from a different death. Yeah. And, yeah. But it's, again, it was like, you knew something was going to happen at the very least. I like, cause this is kind of the cusp. Like, yeah, cause I guess this is this around the same time as scream and, I know you did last summer and such too. I think those were 95, 96 ish, I want to say, um, offhand. So I know horror was in a weird spot around this time because, you know, the 80s clearly had, you know, Friday the 13th and Halloween and, and Nightmare on Elm Street and all, all of these. And I think horror kind of died a bit and then got revived with uh, with scream yeah there was definitely but... there was definitely a period there and i i wouldn't have the knowledge uh but it, but even then i mean scream scream kind of came back to, satirically i th- i think there was an intentionally campy or very premise driven revival around that time but yeah. i think nowadays horror really came back with your and i'm not i'm not talking like the torture porn stuff found footage ones yeah paranormal activity that type of thing i'm thinking more from the asian takes on horror the japanese Mm -hmm. and korean horror um and their uptakes and then uh, despite what you think maybe house of a thousand corpses and those those lines of things more like how crazy can people be? Yeah. That that being said, I, I feel like this movie also kind of wanted to be an action movie. And yeah, I, I can kind of see that. There was a missing tenseness. So when you start, when you're watching a horror, even a bad horror, they'll start trying to develop a tenseness from the start and they'll mm-hmm. kind of build it slowly until events start happening so you're kind of like on your edge of seat of your seat you don't know what's going to happen feel a little tingle maybe like some hairs are standing up i didn't get anything like that until they entered the uh engine room Mm -hmm. and i mean we're talking 20 minutes into the film i mean i think that's kind of where again one of those things that Kind of missed it. So he said that they started out with them on a rescue mission at first. That would just be something to give that a little bit of tension. Um, because the engine room was the catalyst for everything, question mark. <laughs> it, it, it popping up. And I just want to touch on one other thing you said there. We're talking about the, the Asian horror and House of Thousand Corpses were how crazy people are. That's what Eldritch Horror should have been. Yes, agreed. Like, like that, that's what we should have been seeing here. And... Well, with all the... all the... orgiastic horror found footage that was originally in the cut, mm-hmm. like, I, I think that would have expressed it more, because apparently there was a lot of this is how crazy people can be. I think, um, like, half an hour of footage cut or something like that? Something like that. Like, and frankly there there must there must be something missing in this film because there's a puzzle piece that's missing 
I can't see the whole picture. Yeah. And I agree with you. Like, even, even Weir didn't... He came off as e- evil, yeah. not crazy. He didn't feel like the personification of the evil or of the ship. So Weir flaying and stringing up DJ mm-hmm. makes sense from this line of thinking. That's an expression of what someone can do to another person if they've totally lost it. Yeah. And then on the other half, Peter's and the scene where she falls would also fit into that well as well. Yeah. It's, it's a different kind of insanity that she was experiencing, I guess you could say. Well, Justin's airlock scene as well. Mm. That would fit it very well. Yeah, like, and and I think that's what bothers me so much about it. There's so many hints of them getting it right, and and I do think I I wouldn't be surprised if yeah that half that half hour that was cut, like just read it the little bit I've read about it's like I want to see this. It's a shame that there's no copies of it left because you know the one copy they found was in a salt mine. <laughs> the uh, I and I think I think that I think that. I think the salt mine thing is just a urban legend because mm-hmm. they only ever released the one cut and they had cut a bunch of film out of it, but there was nothing ever released either they way. They actually went looking for it. Like I think I saw that um, Anderson yeah. went looking for it and because they wanted to do basically a, a full cut of it. And yeah, essentially all of the footage was basically unusable because this was around the time that it was switching from VHS to DVD and everything yeah. was still VHS and I that makes me so sad because I I mean I still enjoy this movie yeah like I I had no problems with watching the film like I was fully in it I I didn't want to get up I wasn't fiddling with my phone or anything but when you start watching it critically it just there's some large holes that just kind of falls apart. Yeah. One thing we've definitely talked about before, there's a big difference between enjoyable and good. Yes. This movie was enjoyable. Oh, for sure. It was not good. (laughs) 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 All right. right. And and that's exactly it. I didn't, I never felt, I honestly felt like I wanted a bit more of it. Like it, it's not like I was taken out of it. Mm. It's just, when I'm thinking about it, it's kind of like, Ugh. see, here's, here's the thing for me. I keep thinking that this movie really wanted to be an action movie too, and I think part of that might have to do with the directing, okay, um, and the way things are established there. I mean, we have Paul W. S. Anderson. I mean, we're talking Mortal Kombat. We're talking yeah. uh, the Resident Evils. Yeah. If this movie was filmed more in the aspect of, if we viewed it more in the aspect of the first Resident Evil, mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't improve the movie at all, but it just makes it make more sense. Okay. Yeah, kind of action, kind kind of horror, um, threading that line, but we're also looking at you know several years difference right this is definitely preceding it you could definitely see oh the director of this definitely was involved in that project later on yeah is what i mean and i'm wondering if it had to do with the rewrites or the recuts because from what i understand this movie was greenlit like 10 weeks before it went into production which is tiny amount of time uh post was cut down from like eight to four weeks or was it eight to six I think um, they finished it a week before it was actually released. I remember oh, that. Post-production mm-hmm. was reduced from from six weeks to four weeks. Yeah. Um, multiple they rewrites. Ten months to do it. Yeah. Like the, yeah. the test viewership that just went, no, this ain't it. And then they cut out like that, the half hour of footage because it was too, too yeah. gory. And it still ended up with like an NC seventeen. They should have yeah. just went full R. Yep. 
if they just oh, went yeah. with it. But I mean, I think that's that's a the product of its time again, right? Because got to remember, this is before Saw and Hostel, mm. right? And from what I understand of these scenes, oh, they were been, yeah. Like I mean, to to give you an idea of it, so I think the layers of hell, right? They had people being dismembered, and they did it practically by having amputees, so they could literally rip off arms. They had very sexually explicit scenes mm-hmm. that they had that they had porn stars in, so they could do it safely and authentically, mm. right? Like. They went all out on it. Like it's one of those things that I get why they cut it, but they really shouldn't have cut it. And I think, you know, if the movie had come out even a few years later, they might have actually gotten away with keeping that stuff. I think because well, we would have had saw. I think one of the this is going to sound so ridiculous to someone not familiar with the production of this film, but. Yeah. This movie would have been better if Titanic had released on time. Yep. (laughs) I was thinking the same thing. This this movie was a less, like, in movie production terms, this movie was a last-minute release because uh, Titanic was pushed back. Yeah. (laughs) They needed to fill that blockbuster spot, and they had to do it in a short amount of time. And, I mean, this movie on full production letting the director do what they wanted to do within you know whatever constraints that need be actually done would have been amazing it would have turned it from that it's a bad movie but i love to watch it to uh this movie's awesome and i love to watch it yeah or i might be overly critical and go (laughs) it's an awesome movie and i don't like it like several other movies <laughs> that will go unnamed at this time. <laughs> yeah. Of of all the films that we've watched and discussed, this one here, it definitely hit me like, even more so than like when we were discussing Silent Hill. It has me going, what could have been? Well, I think the... So if we were to compare this to Silent Hill, and I know... There's like almost no similarities between them at all, but from a personal st- my own personal standpoint, I look back at Silent Hill and I say I really enjoyed watching that movie, and then when I rewatch it, there's little bits more, and I enjoyed it even more. Yeah. When I went back and I watched the movie with the this uh, Vent Horizon with the same heart, I th- I might have enjoyed it less. Yeah. I know critically it doesn't stand up to what it could have been. Does it feel like it's just a lot of stuff on the surface, a lot of set dressing to you? Like it's just, as it is, because there's a lack of consistency, it just feels visual. Yeah, it, yeah, uh, it, that's a good way of putting it. It's a lot of set dressing. There's, I mean, that, that goes back to the, the, the Chekhov's guns that I was talking mm. about. It's like, okay, cool. Why do you have a meat grinder here? Why do all the doors have spikes? Why is the engine room filled with spikes? <laughs> it, it was a, a visual thing. It was almost, it was almost trying too hard to be a creepy environment. Agreed. And right? I mean, like, they they nailed they from the design aspect. They nailed what they were going for like a cathedral insides with like tower spikes, uh, what the spikes in the engine room were supposed to represent the hallways, but it feels everything just felt thrown in. Like even the fact that the ship was cross shaped or that the window in the hallucination and at the end was cross shaped. it, It seemed more like, yeah, set dressing, just like, Oh yeah. Well, We'll make it about heaven and hell. Here's some symbolism. Yeah, and and they had cool pieces of set dressing that I had no issues with. Right, like they, they talk about the ship living. It's like okay, well you get that kind of fleshy moss throughout the ship. Mm. That that worked fine. It 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 was exactly what they were going for. Or again, the the casket shaped doorways when mm. 
when um Peters was chasing her chasing her kid. It, it's like they didn't know where they wanted to go with it. You know what it is? Um so again from what I was reading of their production notes, they they had their general overall idea, but instead of going this is what we want it to be, I think they really focused on that this is what we don't want it to be. Uh... So again, so and I think this even ties back to like the door where we were talking about. That would have worked fine if they still kind of had the eldritch horror monsters, even if you, like they don't need to be xenomorph present, mm. right? But just having it there a little bit, but because they didn't want to be alien, well, we can't do that. So that entire thread gets cut. I, I wonder how much of that played on it, because I, I saw a lot in the the notes that I was reading. A lot of that. No, we don't want it to be this. We don't want it to be this instead of letting it be its own thing. And using that as your benchmark for a film is probably would probably affect it even more than saying we do want it to be this and we do want it to be this to avoid yeah. those similarities. And there was a lot on the visual speaking. I kept getting reminded of other movies and other shows. Yeah. When Peters was climbing up, while chasing her hallucinated son. Yeah. All I was being reminded of was the corridors on Deep Space Nine. Mm. When they were in the Lewis and Clark, all I could think of was the Nebuchadnezzar. Yep. And that had nothing to do with Lars Finchburn. Well, and so that one there, that one's going to be a... a bad correlation because the nebuchadnezzar wasn't till 99 this came up before that yeah i know it's <laughs> and that's <laughs> that's what makes makes it bad for me because it like i know that uh the matrix came out after yeah there's one thing though like after that first explosion when the engine first went off in the event horizon and, like, a bunch of stuff happened, a bunch of fires broke out. On the Lewis and Clark, how did the ladder catch on fire? <laughs> um... I, I noticed this, and I, I know why, from, like, a directing standpoint, why they would light a ladder on fire. Yeah. But I was just like, how? But seriously... From a design aspect, this movie did do something really good, which a lot of films kind of miss out on. And that is showing scale. Mm. You, you get a feeling for how big the Lewis and Clark is. And using that, you're able to get a feeling for how big the event horizon is. Yeah. What could have helped this movie might have even been like naming schemes because it did seem kind of like all over the place in my opinion yeah having a common theme though predictable for say naming vessels is kind of important in these these sort of things yeah but when i when it comes to scale and this is one of the visual aspects that it did really well just as they're exiting that storm to intersect with the event horizon and they stop and you already have that judgment of scale of how big the lewis and clark is yeah and then it kind of pans out and it's like this is the event horizon this is actually how giant it is and this is how cathedral-esque it is mm -hmm. that scene i loved i agree i think they did a great job visually on that but again at that time i didn't have any tenseness yeah i was just sitting there comfortably watching a, a movie yeah, well, and that's the thing. Like the opening of the film, I I didn't have any issues with the opening of the film. Like, all right, no, I can like I liked how the music was. You know, it had that kind of sci-fi and that kind of tension in the music, even though there wasn't anything going on there. You know, the the mostly practical effects. Granted, that's a product of the time. Yeah, right. That's why the siege, the, the little bits of CGI stand out like a sore thumb. But oh, I mean, this is still early, right? The, the ships were feeling functional and used. You got that immediate family of the crew working t together and 
knowing that even without having the the scenes right like it started out strong i i feel and then it's just yeah, just went off the rails. And no, it off just, the rails again. It's not not quite the right term, but <laughs> yeah, it's. Yeah, I'm telling you, man. The lines that don't intersect. Yeah, they they don't come to like a final point, arriving at the like same of end destination. Yeah, Un- unfortunately, this this movie kind of going a little bit back to them developing this film around uh, what they don't want it to be. Uh, they definitely weren't able to establish what it is at the end. Yeah. As a, as a whole product. Like it, this movie could have easily been stripped off into two movies. One is a space action movie, some people fighting on a spaceship and an eldritch horror in space. Yeah. And it probably would have been better. I just, I don't think it knew what it wanted to be. Yeah. Uh, in that same aspect though I do like how uh, the captain ended up getting that bolt gun and then just didn't get to use it Yep, (laughs) he didn't get like a badass moment and I very keen on that I don't know how Weir would have been able to get the gun but that's just a weird nitpicky movie thing (laughs) as far as the ending result I do I do like that. Who's the character? Ah, it was Cooper. I do like that it was Cooper and Stark that made it out. Mm-hmm. They were the ones that didn't have that trauma. So consistently, consistency-wise, that made sense. Yeah, I do like that they had the false wake up into the true wake up. Yeah, uh, if you're gonna do that in this film, if it were to end just on. Beer's face, I would have I've been like, what the F? <laughs> what is this? Yeah. But the fact that like they had that false wake up trope was if they're gonna do it, that's the way it should have been done. Yeah. I yeah, I agree. It's um There's some weird other just weird inconsistencies because I am being a little nitpicky right now that I kinda wanna mention. And it's not the fact that in the opening credits they said on in 2015 we'd have a moon colony. <laughs> it's so weirds a, a scientist. He's apparently the super smart scientist whose intelligence probably rivals my own. And he builds this ship, and he has a team, and they receive this like distress beacon from the event horizon. Yeah, and it has this random sound clip they they can't decipher. Yeah, a random doctor on a random rescue ship can hear Latin. How does an entire team of scientists in twenty forty seven not be able to hear Latin words? <laughs> so, interestingly enough, um, when I was looking at TV tropes. Um, <laughs> that was actually something that was brought up, <laughs> and there. There's enough of an explanation that I could buy it. They didn't get the proper... They didn't get all of the distress call. That came from the logs. So it's possible that it was just a fragment of the, the distress beacon. And that part wasn't heard. Oh, yeah. Okay. Right. Not necessarily explained very well because again it's a question i saw a bunch when i was looking at for my 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 alternate or my um behind the scenes facts and such about the movie so i don't disagree with that but again i think it's that you said the just those little bits that are missing in the presentation that would clear it up you know you go here's a five second clip play the entire five second clip and not have that there or something right um well i mean even the introduction of a few what would be seemingly throwaway lines into the film would have tightened it up yeah from i put my blood sweat and tears into this to maybe renaming of the lewis and clark maybe something that something related to like a biblical hope yeah, I would like to see that because then fundamentally, when it explodes, then that hope is taken away. Like I, mm. symbolism-wise, that would have been great. 
Yeah. I don't want to be... I don't want to nit harsh on this film too much because I still really enjoy it. So I'm making it sound worse than it is. That's why I say very clearly, there's a difference between enjoyable and good. We both find this movie very enjoyable. Enjoyable. (laughs) I am not rating it highly. And as you said, I know for a fact, we've got some movies that shall remain unnamed that we see the exact opposite. (laughs) Right. So there's nothing wrong with being critical of it. I still going, but I love, but I enjoyed the hell of it. And I think compared to, you know, some little hours movies, (laughs) I think we definitely come across a lot more like we enjoy this we also can see its flaws so i I don't think you should worry about being too critical (laughs) okay unfortunately the movie itself is simple yeah so there's not much that i can really call into it definitely there was definitely scenes that made me think it was a product of its time in filmmaking such as conversations that are moving along the plot happening while they're walking down a hallway yep (laughs) like i caught that or they're having a conversation nowhere or that's going to nowhere as the camera's circling the crew yep and i'm like if that was reshot nowadays it would be completely different maybe i've been spoiled with nowadays filmmaking but just some of the production tropes is what actually pulled me out of the film because I, I just turned around and I like pointed at the screen and I'm like, I know what that is. You know, it, it's, it's funny. Cause like I didn't know a few, like I get it. Right. <laughs> like in the, the walking down the hallway, it, it was a trope that I don't think I ever noticed until like watching an episode of house. Yeah. I think that's where I might have. <laughs> 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 um, but at, at the same time, there there's some other product of time shots that were that I enjoyed, like long shots. They didn't need to cut between everything that was happening. Mm. <laughs> so I'm just like, I, I think you wrote down, I was like, I kind of miss these shots just are long. Like, you know, um, Peter's just kind of walking back and forth and then Justin being gone. I'm like, I like that. Because nowadays it just would have been a, her walking and then a cut to the table and her walking again and a cut to the table. Right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it, yeah, the the ADD cutting. Yeah. I like to call it music video cutting. Mm. It's a, a new cut every couple seconds. Same scene, 50 cuts. I Long cuts are definitely my preferred manner. Like, I'd like to watch, what was it, 1917, where it, they make it feel like one long cut. It might feel excessive, but... I'd like to check out that movie as well. Yeah. Well, Birdman did it well. Birdman? Yeah. Did it well. I would say the the things that this film did well were all visual, and it did them really well. But from a cohesive standpoint, it those design aspects, the character aspects... And the genre aspects didn't intersect appropriately. Yeah. Like if it if it was like a TP like structure, it wouldn't hold because nothing is mounted correctly or braced properly. Yeah, yeah. this movie, right, regardless of its fault, is insanely influential in pop culture. Oh, for sure. Dead Space. Well, I could see Dead Space being example. a yeah direct call to it. Yeah. A lot of ties to Warhammer, the Warhammer 40k game. I, I was thinking about yeah. yeah, I was I was thinking about that too because the opening shot, or not the opening shot, when the power comes back on and yeah. it starts lighting up, I had like this not a nostalgia moment, a this moment where I was like, have I have I seen this in some of the trailers for like the Warhammer stuff? I mean, I haven't played them, but I've watched the trailers because they're usually at least, like, flashy and entertaining. And it it got me thinking, it's like, was this movie influenced by Warhammer or was Warhammer influenced by this movie? Yeah. 
I could see things like Lex having some influence. I'm not sure if Lex came out before or after. I think like uh, 98. <laughs> While I use the Google machine. <laughs> oh, no, around the same time, 96, it looks like. Okay, so like almost immediately before. This movie should have been either an Eldritch Horror on Earth, Haunted House. Yeah. Or it should have been a relatively action thriller in space. Yeah. I feel like it tried to do both. Yeah. Oh, I, I agree. And, again, I enjoy Anderson's movie. And I enjoy Mortal Kombat quite a lot. I enjoy the Resident Evil films. Again, well, we're, we're the only two people who've watched them all, so... <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, I say that, but like each Resident Evil made more money than the one before it, so they actually did really well. Yeah, but that actually means they didn't watch them all. <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> um, I mean, Death Race. These are enjoyable movies, but as you said, most of them, Alien vs. Predator. But yeah, they, no, they. You're right. They that action thing. I think that hits it bang on. Most of his films tend to lean a bit more to the mat. Oh God, he's doing the Monster Hunter movie, <laughs> and so it's it's what he's good at, I yeah. think. Popcorn sci-fi action or like gentle horror action. I'm sure he could do a breakout thing, but he's definitely found his groove. Yeah, that makes me think if they weren't so afraid of being alien. I think they they would have had it. I if they went evil aliens, like even if they used Earth iconography, yeah. like say like Catholic iconography or something like that, I I probably would have enjoyed the movie more. Oh, it, that would have been amazing. Have you ever seen Biblical Angels? No. Yeah, Biblical Angels, as they're described in the Bible, are like. Are, as they're described, they're not the cherubs that we think. They're like ultra. Have you played? Have you see, ever seen anything from Bayonetta? Yes. Those are those are angels. Oh. <laughs> okay. That's the alien they needed. <laughs> keep with that feeling. Keep with that ultra horror, and keep the biblical references. But it's far enough away removed that no one would have confused that with alien. I don't think it'd be possible to confuse it with Alien anyways. I think yeah. it's just it was a weird time in yeah. science fiction movie making. And science fiction and horror, both yeah. of them. And the, the production didn't work for it. I'm, I'm, I mean, if we think about this in a posit positive way, I'm amazed that they came out with this, mm. with that type of, like, production issues, recuts, like, after the... That recut that they did after the test filming took a week. Yeah. You you do all of this. The fact that it came out as enjoyable as it was, I, I'm i amazed. Yeah. I As far as enjoyability goes, it would definitely be two eyeballs out of two in hand. <laughs> <laughs> but if, if I were to give a rating... Give, give me a moment, I need a count here. Yeah, if I were to give this movie a rating, I would probably... That's the best way to phrase this. I would give this movie... I'd give this movie four living crew members of my original seven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd say it's probably three out of nine layers of hell. Okay. Like, uh, uh, objectively. Again, enjoyable. Yeah, two eyeballs in hand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and again, product of its time. We both clearly have fond memories of it. <laughs> I'll watch it At again. Time, yeah, um, and I, I would watch it again. <laughs> I mean, their tagline is good, but it doesn't represent what they were showing. Infinite space, yeah. infinite terror. Yeah. More like someone get Lawrence Fishburne a gun and let him go John Wick on it. <laughs> no, that's Neo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
Well, with that, this has been the Beardy and the Beast Media Club. Join us next time for Second Wall, where we begin our experience with Season 2 of Carol Tuesday, Episodes 13 to 15. The following Media Club, we'll discuss the film Requiem for a Dream. Follow us here or at any of the services listed at beardyandthebeast.com. But if you like what we do, give us a share. Later. Later.